G'day, welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music, and more. I'm John Merch. We're starting to get a 30-minute window with our guests you're going to hear today. Nathan Foley, with a number of decades in and around music, has released a new single, She-Devil, ahead of a full-length album called Hurricane that is currently in the works in New Zealand with producer Greg Haver on board and key recordings taking place at Neil Finn's Roundhead Studios. Nathan zoomed into Radio Notes to say hi. Nathan, thanks for joining Radio Notes. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. I'd like to start off by talking about the Jackson 5. This was the first album you got at the age of five. Who gave you that first Jackson's 5 record and what was so exciting at the age of five to get it? Oh, I don't know. I think ever since I was two, I was listening to a lot of music. Um, my, obviously, my parents are not from a musical background whatsoever, but they listened to a lot of music. And uh, when I was about two, my parents actually divorced. So I used to go and see my dad every second weekend and he used to uh, go and sell old antique furniture to the secondhand shops. So this one day I was five, walked in and there was a, a box of old vinyl records. And I think uh, being a five-year-old at the time and you know, obviously making a bit of a ruckus about it, I picked up the vinyl record and uh, that was it. I kind of uh, saw these five young blokes on the on this album. I thought, oh, they're young just like me. What is this? So uh, I think my dad bought it for me at the time. I think it was like 50 cents. And then took it back and played it and that was it. By the time I was 10, I was mimicking little Michael Jackson, sounding very much like him, which was bizarre. I've still to this day never had any singing lessons. It was just all about listening, but they were the first group I pretty much heard. Well, you've done a lot, but something you haven't done as well as singing lessons, you say, is that you've never actually learnt the guitar or the piano. So where do you think that musical inspiration to play an instrument comes from? I don't know. I think it's all power of the mind. I mean, I think if you love something or have a passion for something, you tend to want to learn it. So I just honestly taught myself, just went and looked at chord books and things like that. And then obviously listened to a lot of uh, songs out there. I mean, uh, half the songs in this world have only got four chords in them. So I think I just went from that. And then I think the first experiences were just jumping on stage with the guitar and playing piano. And I did a lot of songwriting using both instruments. Um, and I think that was pretty much my first steps into being able to learn by just hands-on experience. Is it true that you got the guitar at the age of 10, but it was another decade before you actually did anything with it? Yeah, my parents bought me this classical guitar and I just sat there for years. Um, And it wasn't until I actually started putting my own shows together even more so. I mean, I was doing shows since I was 10, but actually really putting a good solid hour and a bit in there. I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll pull out the guitar. I went and bought a mate acoustic. When I was 18, I've had it ever since. It's this beautiful uh, sunburst, maiden, Australian-made guitar. And I uh, took it on stage and just started playing some rock and roll stuff. Obviously, nothing lead. I, I wouldn't class myself as a lead guitarist, but I'm definitely a rhythm guitarist. And uh, that was it. It just came naturally, and uh, I kept it in my show. What's that process for this album been like in terms of the songs coming to Nathan Foley? Oh, I think, well, going back a little bit, my, my career has been a weird one. I've had my hands in all sorts of pies and, and tried anything at least once. Um, I, I started writing songs back when I was 10. I did my first album when I was 10 and I wrote a couple of songs on that. I honestly can't remember how I did it back then, but of recent times, I had no interest. I had no enthusiasm in writing anything for a long, long time. I don't know, maybe I was going through some you know terrible times in my life or bad relationships, but... Honestly, it wasn't until the whole COVID thing went down and at the same time I was approached by um, 
someone who wanted to manage me and, and a great team that wanted to get behind me and believed in my talent. And it kind of kicked me into gear and gave me that confidence again to go, hey, you know, maybe I should do the songwriting because they were interested in, in my original works. They weren't interested in cover work. They weren't interested in anything else, but just my originals. And I really took a seat and I went, you know what, I have, I do have a lot to think about and I have a lot to write about. And I'm more comfortable now in my skin. And no word of a lie, I think within the last five months, with, you know, with, with the crisis that's been happening in the world, I think I've written about three or four albums worth of music. I noticed also the fact that She Devil might be autobiography of your life. Was that the case also, without going into too much detail, and the song s- speaks for itself, that you were in a position in your life where you were giving more time to other people than you were your own musical output? Yeah, I think I, I, I was drained at one part of my life. And obviously She Devil was written about an ex. <laughs> so I think a lot of people have written about their exes. I didn't want to be too specific. Obviously, the, the specifics of my life, uh, I probably would put down in, in lyrical form. I think it would be a bit scary. But I think uh, with this song, I wanted to do a tongue-in-cheek kind of song. And, and this song actually took me an hour. I wrote the song in an hour. I did the chords and the lyrics and everything straight off the bat and laid the demo out ready for the band. Obviously, this song is a tongue-in-cheek sort of um, touches a little bit on 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 my on my past, my, my exes, but they they would never know it's them. Uh, <laughs> but the rest of the album definitely, in some parts, a little bit autobiographical, and I didn't want to be too uh, serious. But obviously, the title of the track "Hurricane" is definitely a very serious serious matter, and I think it's very remnant of what people are going through in the last, you know, 2020 has been a terrible year for a lot of people. And I think it's one of those songs that originally was written about suicide, mm-hmm. um, but it's actually been taken on a different course. And obviously not me. It was not me that wanted that was suicidal or someone that I knew that was very close to me. So I wrote the song about them. And, but listening to the lyrics now, it has a lot of appeal to people that have actually gone through hardships, not only from the fires, but also through the COVID-19 and unemployment and obviously third and foremost, obviously through the Black Lives Matter movement as well. I mean, people have gone through a lot this year and I think Hurricane is definitely a song that people can listen to and hopefully in a way help them get through each day. Urban Dictionary says that She Devil is a redhead. Can you confirm it was a redhead? Definitely not. No, I don't think I've ever dated a redhead. She Devil actually was was spawned by the title First, I actually was watching some TV and commercial came up for an old movie from the 80s, which I think starred Roseanne Barr and... Um, Meryl Streep. Uh, called She-Devil. Yep, not the 1957 Jack Kelly flick. No, I haven't seen that one. Also, although I am into a lot of the movies from the 40s through to the 60s, but yeah, the commercial came up for that. I think it was showcasing it somewhere. And I thought, that is a really cool name. And then I went, hmm, well, I've dealt with that kind of vibe. And I've actually never seen the movie. But I saw the title and I went, that's pretty damn good. So that's how the, the song was born. You said you haven't seen the film. We will put the trailer in the show notes. You seem to have, and maybe it's not yours, a fascinating and extensive DVD collection. What is one of your favourite DVDs in that collection, if it is your collection that we've seen on TikTok? Oh, yeah, you've seen that. You've, you've done your research. Well, I've been collecting because I'm not a I'm not a big person. I don't go out that much. <laughs> Obviously, I've worked most of my life since I was ten, so I'm not a big party animal. I don't go out. I've never I've never I've, to this day I've never taken any drugs. I've never been that kind of guy. So I've spent my money on little home comforts, I guess, from CDs to DVDs. So in answer to your question, I have so many favourites, but just to name a couple, I think obviously I love comedies, but I also love some action films as well, and also biographies. 
Uh, I love um, uh, Jewel, D-U-E-L. Remember Jewel came out in 1972. I watched that. It was about a truck that chased the car over America. It was yes. one of my favorite films. Stir Crazy, Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Uh, Coming to America, Eddie Murphy. And biography-wise, I love a movie called The Temptation Story, which is based around the band The Temptations. I think it was a, a production that Motown Records put together that was released about 20 years ago now. But that is a, a, an amazing film. And obviously, obviously, modern films these days, to me, I think they're a little bit too... Um, computer generated i think there's too many effects but i love the old 60s and 70s as well where they actually have stuntmen doing these tricks and doing these things i think that's really really cool so i don't have an absolute favorite but they're just a few that i really love and obviously the most modern one that i that i fall in love with i didn't mind the joker actually the movie just came out called the joker um i didn't mind that at all it was very dark or something very cool about it. I actually watched it a few times. <laughs> and it's a very extensive collection as well. What people saw on TikTok is only a quarter of what's behind me. It goes, the whole wall goes, keeps going down the side of my office. So. Are you into the physical records as well? Is there, from, from that first Jackson 5, which I hope you kept, is there other records in terms of vinyl that have been added to that collection over the years? Yeah, I, I, I've had this dream of owning a wall of vinyls, but they, they, they're teaming, other than you know, going to buy some from Vinnie's, which they're at 50 cents to a dollar, which is where I got a lot of my, my albums from. The ones at JB Hi-Fi are up to 50 to $80 of vinyl. I just can't condone that amount of money. So and I, I think $10 is fine, but anything more than that for a vinyl, it's just like, uh, I don't know. I just kind of just can't see the, putting the money into that. I'd rather go and have a good meal somewhere. <laughs> but um, answer to your question, I think I've only got like 20 vinyls at home and, and amongst them I've obviously got a, a lot of Jackson 5, George Benson, Donny Hathaway, Stevie Wonder. Marvin Gaye, a lot of the Motown artists, Nat King Cole, got a couple of Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., you know, some of the greats. And, I, you know, I love playing the old, the old vinyls on my old record player and just hearing that crackle, you know, especially for the older songs. What song connects you to your wife? What is that one song that you can hear somewhere and automatically think of your beloved? Oh, man. There's so many, same same thing. Like there's so many different songs that mean so so many different things. But uh, I guess there's one song that I've actually got tattooed on my arm. To be honest with you, I've got the notation on my arm, and not many people know about it. But they always see the notation in the treble clef and the notes around it with stave, and they go, "What is that? What is that song?" I said, and I ask musicians, "What what is it? You tell me what it is." And they they put the melody together, but they never guess it. It's um, "You Are the Sunshine of My Life," Stevie Wonder album called Talking Book back in 1972. Particularly seem to like that 1970s, don't you? I like real. You know, I, I'm also a massive fan of rock and roll. You know, Little Richard, you know, rest in peace. Uh, Chuck Berry, um, all those guys like that. You know, the ones that had that had raw talent that went out there and didn't worry about making the odd mistakes here and there. But songs that moved you, songs that made you want to get up. I, I'm not a big fan of songs that sound like everything else. And I think a lot of the music out there is starting to get that way, where it's all about regurgitation as opposed to individuality. So I loved knowing that when you look back on songs from, you know, even going back as far as the 50s, right through even to the 80s, to my likings, the 50s to the 80s music is probably one of my, all those genres are my favourite. You knew exactly who the artist was just by hearing a few bars of their song or a few bars of their voice, you go, oh, my God, that's Billy Joel. Oh, that's Elton John. Oh, that's Stevie Wonder. That's this guy. That's it because they were so individual and they were so unique in their own way. But now you listen to the radio and you go, who is that? I don't know. Is that, is that that person? 
no, no, it sounds like that person. They all sound the same to me. I'm so glad that I was exposed to a lot of that old school music because I drew from so many of those influences to put into a massive melting pot to become the entertainer that I am today. Well, let's talk about your chance to sound different on the radio. She Devil, of course, is out. People can hear that. But the album, it's it's been produced in New Zealand. Talk to me about music producer Greg Haver, who I think has a connection from memory with Tom Jones. Yeah, he had a connection with that and quite a few people, actually. One, I think he produced one of the Spice Girls as well. He's had, um, uh, obviously, experience within the pop and rock sort of market. That's exactly the sort of road that I wanted to go down to. And the thing I love about Greg Haver is that he listens. He takes on the vision that's in your head and says, okay, where do you want to go with this? I mean, I've worked with some great producers and I've worked with some not so great producers. Um, The ones that are not so great are the ones that don't listen and have their own vision of what they want your songs to sound like. But with Greg, he says, you know what, where do you want this going? What do you want it to sound like? Give me some sort of inkling of where you want this to go, what you want in it. And straight up, I said to him, I said, well, I want live instruments mixed with obviously some programming as well. But I want a sax solo. He's like, what? A saxophone solo? He says, I haven't heard one of those in a long time. I said, well, people, they put out the synth sounds. They put guitar solos down all the time. I said, I want a sax solo. I said, because sax is sexy and I want this music not only to have an edge, but I want it to be sexy as well. The mini bikes have a sax. They've got Adam Simmons, who's a jazz saxophonist in their record. But I want to ask, did you get Bill Clinton or Bruce Willis to do the sax on She-Devil? Neither. neither. <laughs> I actually didn't get to meet the I didn't get to meet the horn section of that song. I recorded the vocals for this back in December for the first three songs of the album. Then obviously I came home. They were scheduled. I was scheduled to go back. I think around March, April to complete the album, and that was right in the heart of the COVID nineteen pandemic. So I've been held back in Australia, not being able to go over there to finish it. There's all been rumours and chat about obviously finishing it off here, but. You know, I'm happy with the team over there. I'm happy with the atmosphere and obviously recording at, you know, Neil Finn Studio. It was just incredible. Um, so I, I love that atmosphere. I love being over there. I love New Zealand. I really do. But I'm waiting. We're waiting for the, that little travel bubble to open up so I can go over there and complete it, which um, I'm dying to. It's just like I have all these new song ideas in my head and I can't move on until I record these ones. <laughs> How's that recording process been like in the studio? Oh, well, geez, the last one was quite hectic because um, it was actually, and I remember the date I was recording, so I did She-Devil and I did a couple of other tracks. The third one that's uh, been released of just Hurricane, I was recording that. I was halfway through, and at the time, my wife was heavily pregnant, and my baby wasn't due, our little boy wasn't due till January 7th. Well, we got a phone call on December 19th, who in turn she told my manager to tell me that her water had broken. So right in the middle of Hurricane, which is it's, this song means so much more than anything I've ever done before on so many levels, I had to fly back home from New Zealand, two of the flights in which were delayed. So I, didn't, I missed the birth by about nine hours, but he was born the exact day of that. So my studio experience in answer, in answer to your question, the last one, was quite hectic because I had to try and finish the song because the flight, my first flight out of there wasn't for two hours. So I had to wait around knowing that my wife was in pain back home and knowing that I had to finish this bloody song at the same time as well. So my studio experience, other than being absolutely incredibly amazing the whole time, was quite stressful the last time I was there. How's fatherhood treating you and what have you learnt from your own father that you're going to bring into your fatherhoodness? Which isn't a word. I don't know. I think... 
as a, it's changed me wholeheartedly. I, what I used to think was important in my life is not so important anymore. I mean, I'll always have a passion for my arts, always have a passion for, for my music and, and entertainment. But as soon as Jackson came along, it was like the things that I used to worry about, even with my career, I'm not worried about anymore. I'm more relaxed. I feel more complete because it's not about me anymore. It's about him. And I mean, I've got the most amazing parents in the world that they've been very supportive of me from day one, regardless of what I wanted to do. To them, it wasn't about fame. It wasn't about money. It was, they, was, they supported me in what I wanted to do and made sure that I did it for love. Um, and that's the only reason why I'm still in this industry. I'm not a rich guy. Everyone thinks I'm a rich guy because <laughs> I was in TV, but that's total garbage. I'm living each week, week to week, like everybody else. And the reason why I'm in this industry is because I have a passion for it and I have a love for it. So what I'm going to take on to my son is push on to my son is make sure that whatever he does and I'll support him, whatever he wants to do is that he does it for love because we're in this for a long time. We have to spend our whole lives working. But if we're getting a paycheck for something that we love to do, then we're winning the whole way. Your story, as we said, started in music by your father giving you that Jackson 5 record that you'd spotted at that secondhand market shop. Let's say you get the chance to give Jackson a record in about four or five years' time. You know, he might choose one, but if you were to give a five-year-old Jackson a record, or I guess direct him towards an MP3 download that he can stream on Spotify, what album would you be giving a five-year-old Jackson, do you think? I'd probably give him my one because I've still got it. I've still got that old original Jackson 5 album, which I drew all over at the age of five. And I'm kicking myself for it, but I'd give him that. And honestly, sometimes I try and get him to sleep by taking him into my office and putting on a lot of a mix of some really cool 70s and 80s ballads. He falls asleep. He loves it. So I want to expose him to the old school stuff, you know, the real stuff. I think, I mean, I can't speak for every parent out there and obviously people have their own way of raising their children. I want to bring him up in a world where we don't have to have our phones on around him all the time. We're just plumping him in front of a TV all the time. We want to get out into nature. We want to get out and explore the world. And obviously want to expose him to some good music as well. I've already played him Nat King Cole and he loves Nat King Cole, you know, just sits there and smiles, you know, no one would ever do that these days, but this is the music that I love to have a, a broad range of musical knowledge. You were mentioning before that Hurricane was about, those more tumultuous times in life. Could you talk us through or give us an idea, a vibe even, of how Hurricane has been a bit of a rock in your musical songwriting? Hurricane was a very quick write. I I honestly think that if, in the back of my mind, if I'm writing a song that I just want to write for the hell of writing a song, it takes me longer. could take me a week, could take me two, three weeks. But when I know exactly what I want a song to be about, not only lyrically but melodically, it comes to me within an hour or maximum two hours. It's just out. But Hurricane to me is a song that obviously has mass appeal lyrically. I mean, you, you listen to it and, you know, not everyone's life is perfect. Even if they put out that whole vibe, their, their life is perfect. Not everyone wakes up happy every day. They're just kidding themselves if they are. So this song to me is a message because... Sometimes we do feel alone. Sometimes we do feel like we wake up and things aren't going our way. But honestly, we've got to look at the simple things and know that we do have someone out there that does love us. We really do. There is someone, even if we don't think they do. And don't be afraid to ask for that support. And I think, you know, especially with mental illness that's out there at the moment, people feel afraid to get that help. And I think this song is all about that. You know, being there for someone, being their hurricane when they can't, when they can't speak, we'll speak for them. 
when they can't talk or talk for them, you know, when they can't lift themselves up and trying to achieve something in their life, we'll be there for them, you know, and that's what that song is all about. What is your rock then? I imagine it is your wife and Jackson, but I will ask you straight out, what, what is your rock and, and how do you allow them into your life? Yeah, I think the, one of the strongest people in my life that I know would have to be my mum. She, oh, she's in her seventies now, mid seventies, but she's she's like a she's like a cannonball, and she always has been. I think it's where I get it from, you know, having that drive to get out there and do what I want to do and, and, and love what I do. Yeah, even at this stage, she doesn't look any she doesn't look anything near her age, but she's just a cannonball. Like she's she's been my rock from day one, massive supporter, just been there for me no matter what when I needed her. So definitely, if someone was my hurricane that would definitely other than my wife and my child definitely my mum was my hurricane still this day for those in your life that have gone through a troublesome time what have been some of the key things you've been able to do for them you know sometimes we think that we can't help but i think the biggest help in general is just by listening just listen to people if they have something to talk about if they want to get things off their chest just be there for them you know you don't have to fix everyone's problems and sometimes we can't fix everyone's problems but if you're there to listen, sometimes that's the best best recipe for, for anybody to get through things. Nathan, been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I want to finish on a light note, and that is, how great are your wife's earrings? And I mean the ones she makes. They're amazing. Go makes designs. Check them out. They're everywhere, and uh, she hand makes everything. She even made out her own wedding dress. She's just incredible. People can find you on, I think the kids call it, TikTok, Nathan Foley underscore official. Seriously, though, you're in your fourth decade and I'm not knocking it. How are you going with the TikTok generation? Oh, it was something that was told to me through the, through management and obviously my, my team. They said, you got to get onto TikTok, do this, do that. I'm like, okay, I'll give it a go. Uh, I don't hold myself back from me, obviously, trying to appeal to a mass generation. So if it's 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, right into the 80s, if my music can touch at least one person, that's great. And obviously for the millennials, it was TikTok. So get me out there again and just to show people that I'm still alive because people think I'm dead for some reason. There was a couple of people I've spoken to said, oh, are you still doing music? We thought you were dead. I'm like, no, I'm not that old. So. Was it true that it was a kid at Bunnings, uh, Sheila at Bunnings, that encouraged you by saying just that? You went, okay, well, I'll release some music then. Was it Bunnings responsible for this album? Yeah, no, I think that was she was responsible for doing The Voice last year. Okay. The Voice approached me for a few years wanting me to do the show and I was just, I wasn't a big fan of doing the reality shows. I mean, I just wasn't interested at all until that girl said, where have you been? She thought I'd fallen off the planet, but I hadn't stopped. I'd never stopped working for the 30 years that I've been in this industry. So I thought, you know what? It's the only way to get out there, showcase to the world that I'm still alive and still going strong. And it's actually, actually helped. I mean, I, I was on there for a few episodes and, that was good enough for me. I wasn't planning on going towards the end anyway, but it was a great little publicity step, obviously lead into my new single and new album, upcoming album. I don't watch much TV, but I know Abby Dobson and yourself. So there's some great quality people on that covers music show. If only there was a TV show that had original music. Nathan Foley, thank yeah. you very much for joining no, Radio Notes. Thanks for having me, buddy. Nathan Foley, She Devil, the single, is from the forthcoming album, Hurricane. Find them online at nathanfoley.com and on TikTok at nathanfoley underscore official. Our next feature guest has a 50th anniversary of the song and album American Pie. Don McLean joins us from his home to talk amongst other things, horses and the joy of gardens in Australia. 
Thanks to Nathan Foley for being our guest this time. Keep an eye out for the album Hurricane. Radionotespodcast.com for show notes and links. Web design there by Steve Davis. Theme music by Martin Kennedy and All India Radio. I'm Tammy Weller. John Merch is the producer and host based in Adelaide, South Australia.